this is New Year's Day. Do you guys know this? How many of you stayed up um, and saw midnight last night? You guys are old. I stayed up until 12.01, gave my wife a quick kiss, and then passed right out and went to sleep. But I made it. And um, that's, when I say passed out, I meant went to sleep. You understand what I'm talking about. I didn't mean what you thought I meant when I said that there, just um, in the normal kind of sleepy way. It's a beautiful day and a beautiful way to start the new year. And I'm really thankful that you guys chose to be here this morning. I want to talk to you about a very predictable message, um, probably on New Year's. And uh, really, it's about how we start the new year, beginning at the beginning and making this the best year ever. Now, there's a paradox that I think you begin to grasp uh, that um, is just uh, part of being a Christian. And that is that for you to have the best life ever, you have to be willing to give your life away. For you to be willing or to see God bless your life in unbelievable ways, for you to have the best year ever, you have to be willing to allow God to use you to do the kinds of things that he wants to do through you. And you'll make a difference in this world that you could never make on your own. But to receive, we have to give. And to give, we have to trust. And as we trust, it's a little scary because we don't know exactly what it is that God wants to do. So the question, and I hope the statement, perhaps even the answer that I want you to start the year with is the same one that I'm trying to start the year with. And that is, God, I want whatever you want for me this year, period. What is it that you want from me this year? What is it you want for our church, from our church, through our church this year? And I hope you ask the same question and answer the same question in your own life. I want what God wants. So God, what do you want? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the Apostle Paul giving some instructions in the book of Philippians. Now, it's a short passage. It's one you're familiar with, one you'll probably, I think, enjoy. If you have already studied it before, you'll bring it back to memory. If not, it's a great passage to wrap your mind around. And then one of my current favorite Psalms, it's Psalm 8611. Now, if you have your notes, if you have your app, um, then you can download your notes today and you'll see all the scriptures there. They'll be on the screens in just a minute. But Psalm 8611 is my current favorite psalm, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But the apostle Paul, Paul, was somebody you and I can relate to in many ways, because he didn't start off life well. As a matter of fact, he started off life succeeding in all the ways he set out to succeed, and then finding that he had really failed by achieving everything he thought he wanted, realizing that what he had achieved wasn't what God wanted at all. He had a supernatural encounter with the Lord, with Jesus, on his way to kill Christians, imprison Christians, and everything changed. And he began to ask the question, God, what is it you want? God, I want what you want. Just tell me, I'm in, I'll do it. And he's writing this particular letter to a group of people he loves, to a church he started. And we're not 100% sure what the errors were and the conflict was about around this particular passage, but the principle is very applicable to you and to me. And I really hope today you'll take something with you that will be life-changing, that'll be very powerful. So I want us to read it together. We're gonna to break it into two sections and um, I hope digest it. And then I'm gonna challenge you to go live a different way. So let's look together at Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, that's us in here. I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet. Now this is, it sounds kind of churchy even in the NIV. And what the apostle Paul is saying is, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not a super Christian. 
I don't understand all there is to know about Jesus. I don't really understand all there is to know about this walk. I have a lot of questions that still have to be answered. I realize I'm a work in progress. Now, I hope, I trust you realize the same thing about yourself. You have not arrived. You have not yet understood all there is to understand about Christianity. There are questions you have that still have to be answered. You're not a super Christian. And what I wanna make sure that you do is the same thing that I do. And that's not to make the mistake of comparing yourself to the people around you. Because if you do that, you have a tendency to put the people around you down, to become legalistic and judgmental, evaluating their lives based on your standard, to try to look better, to live a little better, to act a little better than them. And it makes us very churchy and irrelevant. But what I'd like to challenge you to do is to compare yourself to Jesus and say, you know what? I haven't quite arrived yet. Now, everybody's comfortable with that, right? When I tell you I'm not very good at this stuff, it's not because I compare myself to you. You might be better than me and more faithful. I may be better than you or more faithful. We together support each other, encourage each other, strengthen each other, grab each other by the hand, live this life together so that we all make it. If we don't all make it, then we lose. We compare ourselves to Jesus and that's what the apostle Paul was doing. And he's saying, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there. It's okay. I know you're not there. The people around you know you're not there. So quit acting like you're all there. We're not. That's one of the most dangerous things we can do in church. Impression management. To act like we know it all. That we're just like Jesus and everybody else should be like us. So the Apostle Paul starts this section off, and it's a complicated theological section. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about the whole passage, but he starts it off by just saying, relax. I'm not there. You're not there. We're not there. Now, this brings an interesting fork in the road. It's the fork I come to every single new year. And when I challenge you guys to come to the same fork, it's interesting to me to see your response. What do we do about it? Do we say, hey, I'm not there yet. It's okay, I haven't arrived. I'm not a super Christian. I have questions that need to be answered. I'm not living my life the way I should be living my life. It's all right. I'll just exist another year and maybe God will do something that surprises me. And the apostle Paul answers this question and says, you can't stay the same. He challenges us and says, there's a fork in the road. And this year you have a fork in your, in your road, a choice that you can make. And it starts today on January 1. I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It still sounds a little churchy. Let me explain it to you. Here's the first thing he says. Since we all agree that we have not arrived yet, that we're still works in progress, here's what I do. The first thing is, I forget about what lies behind. Some of you are preoccupied with the past. Let me say that in a more inclusive way. Some of us are preoccupied with the past and the past can be good, it can be bad, or it can be ugly, right? And the apostle Paul tells us, he says, one thing that I do and one thing that you should do is to forget about what lies behind. As long as we're living in the past, we are irrelevant in the present because we're not present 
and we're incapable of having this kind of life that God wants us to have in the future because we've put a pause, a period, or an exclamation point somewhere back there. And we've stopped traveling down the road. So the past can be bad. There have been things that have happened to some of you and perhaps things that some of you have done that you have to put behind you. I was talking to my wife, to Joy, this last week, and it's weird because we had a full house over Christmas. It was so much fun. We had both my boys, my daughter-in-law, one of my son, Nathan, my other son, Nathan's girlfriend, my granddaughter, Emery, that you guys got to see last week. A full house, four dogs, which was too many, but it's all right because it's family. And we had everybody in the house. And then on Tuesday, nobody was in the house Tuesday night. And so it was just Joy and I staring at each other going, who are you? What are we going to do? And there's that, there's that weird feeling. You guys know what I'm talking about. That empty, that empty nest again. And so I was talking to Joy about my message and I was talking to her about part of forgetting the past. And we were talking about our own past. And, and she says, you know what it's like? And I said, what Joy? And she said, like cleaning out your closet. And I said, so is that going to be your new year's resolution? Will you finally clean out your closet? There's two types of women. There are two types, right? There's the one that has the super clean, put together, squared away closet. There's the kind of woman who knows where everything is in their closet, right? And, and so you have to choose which kind you are. I'm sure there's two types of men as well. I live with a woman, so I get to observe and I get to pick on her. I even asked that question. I said, can I tell people that I ask you to clean your closet? She said, I don't care. Um, but, uh, but, but she said, no, that's not my resolution. <laughs> but she said, it's like cleaning out your closet. She was making an analogy. And she said, some things you keep, the good stuff, right? Some things you keep. Some things you give away, some things you throw away. So I'm leaning in going, oh, this sounds like wisdom to me. This woman, she knows something, right? 33 years of marriage, by the way. We celebrated our anniversary on Friday, 33 years. I got married when I was 20 years old. I should know by now she knows things. She knows things. She goes, there's stuff in your past that you just have to get rid of. You just have to put it behind you. It happened. Give it to the Lord God. It's there. We wish it wasn't. It's yours. Move it on. Done. There's stuff you have to give away. And I said, what do you mean give away? She said, well, you have to give forgiveness. Sometimes you have to give thanks. Sometimes you have to give credit. She said, some things you have to give away. She said, then there are a few things you have to keep. Not many, but things from the past that help you become who it is that you need to be and want to be in the future. So there may be some of you here who are struggling with your past. You're struggling with the idea of forgiving somebody who's wounded you, an event that's happened, something that's caused you to put a period at the end of your sentence and you've not moved forward. And this could be the day where you choose to move forward into what God has for you and the impact you are going to have in this world but you have to be willing to move beyond the past. The children of Israel are a great story of a collective group of people that act oftentimes as an individual that sometimes make decisions that are um, informative. The children of Israel, when they escaped captivity, slavery in Egypt, where they were being threatened, being killed, being starved to death, were in the desert, wandering around, looking back on their recent past. And this amazing thing happened. They forgot how bad it was 
and look back on it and wish that they could go back to relive this past. And had they gone back to relive the past, not only can you never do that, but it was a terrible place to be. And they begin to grumble about their present to be dissatisfied with what God was doing in their lives, making them irrelevant and unuseful to God's plan. As they were wandering around in this wilderness, the Israelites, they said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Back in the good old days, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about these children of Israel and how they had some really great times in the past. They had some really painful things that had happened to them in the past. And they had a whole lot of experiences that would have fallen somewhere in between. But the point was that for them to be relevant and useful, they had to be willing to put the past behind them. Now, regret can be a powerful motivator. The things that you've done, the things that have happened, the situations that you would maybe do differently, you allow the regret to motivate you, but do not allow the experiences to paralyze you. You are not your past. The good or the bad. And we have to be willing to let it go. Now, this is just part one of this passage. We have to be willing to let it go. I want to pray for you. And I know that for some of you, it's probably really hard. As a matter of fact, I'm going to grab my stool, which I forgot to do. I got so excited to see you all. I want to sit down for just a second. And um, for some of you, it's really hard. For some of us, it's really hard. For those that have wounds of the past, they continue to come up and they feel like they happen over and over again. I get it. And you forgiving and releasing the offense, the situation, seems impossible. But the Bible tells us otherwise. And as I've shared with you time and time again, and will continue to share with you, forgiveness does not mean that you're saying what happened is okay. It doesn't mean that you're saying that there aren't consequences. It doesn't mean that you're saying that it was even legal. It doesn't mean that you're saying that you're gonna have a relationship with somebody again. It doesn't mean that you're not going to continue to be in pain from time to time when you think about it. Forgiveness is taking the event that's caused you to stop or stall in your journey of life and saying, God, I don't want to carry it anymore. It's yours. And for some of you, because I've been here with you, we walk right up to this point time and time again. And if you step into that freedom, but to be perfectly honest and transparent with you as your friend and your pastor, many of you don't. You walk right up to it. You consider it, you feel the pull and the draw of the Holy Spirit, but you decide to hang on. So I'm gonna offer you the opportunity one more time today to give it to the Lord because it's the only way to move forward. Now, for some, you're looking at an experience or an event in the past that defines you and you feel pretty good about it. For some of us Christians, it's a spiritual experience that we had in the past 
a trip that we took, a decision that we made, a time that we had a conversation with somebody. And we feel that if we get back to that past, we can just recreate that moment. If we can just bring it back, that it'll feel the same way. And there's no way to recreate the past because it's in the past. People have changed. Circumstances have changed. I have changed. And so have you. And we can remember and remember well, but we can't set it up as an idol and worship it. It causes groups of people in churches to stall, to sometimes fracture and become irrelevant because God is a God of the future. I don't understand how it all works, but I do know that the only time a human being was supposed to be fully com comfortable and, and fully present in the present was in the garden. And after the garden and after sin, we are people who worship and live in the now, but look forward to the future when Jesus comes again and cures us of this condition that we call sin. So even the good things we have to be willing to put aside. And we have to be willing to say to God, what is it you want from me today? What is it you want to do in my life this year? So the gift that I want you to give right now to the Lord is the gift of your past. Thank you for my past, God, for the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good's been a blessing. I've learned from the bad and the ugly. Well, sometimes it happens, right? Help me to have the courage to do the work to forgive. Help me to have the courage to do the work to move on. Help me to have the courage to be a person who looks forward and not constantly looks back. Because that's the only way we can move into this new year with this new life and this uncommon faith. I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna give you a little break, a little pause, a little time to catch your breath because there's more to this passage, as you know. This is the second part. It's the, okay, we forget the past, but now what do I do today and tomorrow and next week? But I'm gonna give you a little pause, a little break. And Brian is, is gonna come and lead us in a song. He's actually gonna sing a song. And I want you to just sit and I want you to reflect and I want you to decide what is it that I want out of my walk of faith in 2023. So the holidays have a lot of tradition and I had a great family growing up, still have a great family, but they're separated. We live all over the place. And when I look back at my Christmases growing up, I think about my grandparents and think about my grandma's house and think about what we did on Christmas morning and think about who read the Christmas story. And I can remember what it smelled like, what it felt like. I can remember the hugs from the people who were there, the excitement that I had, and their good memories. And now, as a new grandpa, I've realized that it's my responsibility to create new memories and traditions with my little granddaughter and with my kids and looking forward to the future to give them the same kind of memories and the same kind of blessing that, that I was able to have in, in my past. And so we have a choice. We can sit around on Christmas morning and miss what we had and be paralyzed, refusing to engage and to create and to move forward. Or we can embrace the fact that as we move through life, that times change. 
and that it's our responsibility as people and as Christians to embrace the reality that we are people of the now looking forward to the future. We don't disrespect the past. We learn from it, but we have to grow. So the Apostle Paul, he says, we're not super Christians. We have not arrived. We're comparing ourselves to Jesus. So the first thing we do is we put the past behind us and it's hard. I'll help you. We'll help each other. I get it. But then he gets very, very constructive and very challenging. And this has really been challenging to me this entire week where he says, but one thing I do, I reach forward to what lies ahead. Now, I've been watching a lot of football lately. Have you guys watched any football? Raise your hand, watch any football? It's amazing how many people I say, have you watched football? I say, oh, well, my team's not in it, so I'm not. But no, football, I like, football's fun for me. I enjoy watching football. A couple of really great games yesterday, and I was watching the coaches, and they call plays a whole lot differently than they used to back when I played high school football. Uh, they have like people on the sidelines with signals, and they have, you know, like microphones and speakers. And back when I played high school football, which was a long time ago, um, my coach would grab a receiver by the face mask and he would tell you a play and you had to run in and you had to tell the quarterback. And that's the way that plays went back and forth. I didn't get to play very much in some years, um, big surprise. And so I remember one game I got to go in and uh, the coach was like, Millick. And I'm like, what? You know, he, come here. And so I will run it over there. I'm so excited. My heart's pounding. I get to go into the game. He grabs me by the face mask. You know, he was shorter than me, believe it or not. And he tells me the play and he says, go in. So I went running in. And I promise you, between the time that I left the sideline and the time I got to the quarterback, I had no idea what play I was supposed to call. None. The whole huddle's looking at me. I'm looking at them. And so what did I do? I just made something up. And it wasn't the right play. And it didn't work. And when I got back to the sideline, my coach said, what was that? We're playing a game here. You're supposed to be paying attention. He had plans. In a sense, the Apostle Paul saying the same thing. We're playing a game here, but this game is for eternity. We're supposed to be paying attention because he has plans. And when God gently grabs us by the face mask and gives us the play, we got to remember, we got to run. We have to do it with purpose, like it matters. So when I say to you, we stand on the precipice, on the, on the, the verge, well, actually we're into a new year. Do you have goals this year? Do you have resolutions this year? One of my resolutions last year I made, I like to make New Year's resolutions. I wanted to grow hair. Now for me, that was possible to do. For some of you who are bald, it's not possible. I didn't know if it was gonna be possible for me because I'd shaved my head for about 12 years. I shaved it one time for a motorcycle trip, liked it a lot, kept shaving it. And then finally, Joy said, you know, if you don't grow your hair out, you may never know if you could grow hair. And so my goal was this year, just simply stop doing something. Stop shaving my head. Easiest thing I've ever done in my life, right? Not asking you if it looks good, not asking you if it looks bad, just stating a fact. Another resolution this year I made, Ashley, one of our, our, our staff members, Ashley Van Horn, she leads worship up here, our creative arts coordinator. Um, Ashley can do pull-ups like you wouldn't believe. And she's a girl. And, and she would make fun of me a little bit because I couldn't do pull-ups. And so my goal this year was to do as many pull-ups as Ashley. Now that may, not be a, a, that may not set a bar high enough for you, but if you know Ashley, you'll know that's a pretty high bar. So there was a goal, right? It was something that I'm looking forward to. So my question to you is, I'm not talking about hair or pull-ups or cleaning your closet. What is it you want from this year? What are you going to set as a goal? And what are you going to pursue with purpose? The Apostle Paul, he says, one thing I do, reach forward to what lies ahead. 
and it starts with the heart. Now this Psalm, Psalm 8611, write this down. Uh, it's in your notes. Remember this Psalm. It's one that has been preoccupying my thoughts. Um, it's a, a phenomenal Psalm. It's short. It's King David. He's praying. And he says here in Psalm 8611, he says, God, teach me your way, Lord. Now that's, en that's not enough. We say that all the time. Teach me, God. Tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. Just tell me, God, just teach me. And, and that's a good place to start, but it's not the end. It's not, it's not where, we, where we have to end up. That's just, well, it's not enough. He says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness, not mine. Whose faithfulness have you relied on this last year? Whose strength, whose wisdom, whose instincts, whose provision, who have you relied on this year? And King David, who was called a man after God's own heart, he says, teach me your way that I can rely on you, God. And then he goes further because many of us would say, yeah, I rely on God and myself. I rely on God and my job. I rely on God and my friends. I rely on God and, and King David, he must've had a lot of ands in his life because he says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me, and this is what I like, which is why it's in bold, an undivided heart. All right, this is too good to, to just skip over quickly. And I know we're, we're not gonna be here too much longer. I know this is New Year's Day. Here's the prayer, friends. My prayer for myself, for my family, for our staff, for our deacons, our SLT, our city groups, our city serve, for you. God, give us undivided hearts because we divide our hearts. And King David got it. He wanted God. He wanted God's laws. He wanted to learn God's rules. He wanted to understand God's faithfulness, but he also wanted other stuff. And he realized that the only way to really get there, to really understand, to find this purpose that God had created him for was to get rid of the other stuff and to just have an undivided heart. So he prays and he says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Now this word fear here is confusing to us. It doesn't mean that I can be scared when I see God coming. When the Bible talks about fearing the Lord, what it really means is, is that I care enough about God to where I fear that I'm gonna be unfaithful, that I'm gonna be divided, that I respect God enough that my fear is that I'm gonna disappoint him, that I'm not gonna achieve my purpose. So let's land this plane together on New Year's Day. Here are four R's that I wanna to talk to you about, things that I know are gonna help you along this process as you figure out what it is God specifically created you to do. These R's may not make any sense to you. They make a lot of sense to me because they're my R's. They didn't make a lot of sense to Joy. I had to explain them to her. So I'm gonna explain it to you right now before we get out of here. The first R is rose. This is one of the things that God has created us to do. One of the things, I don't understand exactly why, I don't understand all the mechanics, but God has created us to be people who live in a herd. And when the Bible tells us to not forsake the assembling of the saints, it's not so that we can go to church and get a check mark in the big box and he can say, yes, you're a good person. 
It's because we need to be in a place like this at least once a week because it helps organize and define our lives. It helps us look around at the people around us to see who we can encourage and strengthen and serve. We can be encouraged and strengthened and serve when we need that, when we worship, when we pray, when we speak the word and there are people here who hear it. God does something in places like this that he doesn't do when you choose to remove yourself from places like this. And he tells us in our Bible, but time and time again, we say, I'll take it when I want to and I'll leave it when I want to. And my prayer for you this year is that you don't have a divided heart, that you're committed to Rose on Sunday morning and you do your best to make it a point. My dad was kind of hardcore growing up. He said, my house, my rules. We're in church on Sunday. You don't wanna go to church, move out. I don't know if he'd have made me move out or not, but that's what he said. And I didn't wanna challenge him. And so I was there. Did I always like it? No. Was it good for me? Absolutely. And he did it because that's what dads do. But do you know what he had to do to do that? He had to be there. Because it wouldn't have worked if he said, you go to church every Sunday or you move out and he was somewhere else. We as people, men and women, we need to make a commitment. We have friends and people in our lives who desperately need this, not me, you guys, what the Lord does when we're here. But to invite them to come, it means we have to be here. And sometimes we have a divided heart. Now, I'm trying to put guilt on you. I'm trying to challenge you for this next year. And I don't have a lot more time to talk about this. But one of my prayers for you this year is that we take rows seriously and more seriously than we've ever taken them before. Because it's just part of it. Number two, relationships. Oh, that sounds pretty churchy, doesn't it? Well, let me explain to you exactly what I mean. Relationships. Now, some of you don't have a lot of friends. Some of you have tons of friends. Doesn't matter if you have a lot. Doesn't matter if you don't have any. The church, we do something. We, we try to organize something for you so that if you would like to be involved in a community of believers who have not yet arrived at perfection, none of whom believe they've arrived at spiritual perfection, none who think that they're Jesus walking the face of the earth, none who believe that they, I mean, you, you get the point, right? We have these things that are called city groups and we organize these city groups and we only do them for eight weeks in the spring and eight weeks in the fall. And the reason we do that is so that it's convenient around your schedule. Now we do things in, in between that you can, you can be a part of, but we provide a system or a structure for you to have community and relationships. But we don't want it to stop there. We want your relationships to go beyond and for you to be able to connect with the people who God has in your life and to be able to share with them the hope and the peace that you have in your relationship with Jesus. Number three, real life. We got rows, we got relationships, we got real life. I don't want you to be divided in your real life. What's that mean? I mean, I want what you do with your time, with your thoughts, and with your money to back up your commitment to the Lord for our real lives not to be divided, but to represent a fear and respect for God and a faithfulness to him. And number four, and an R needed to fit here. There are other words that might work just as well. Reflection. I want you to spend some time alone and I want you to think about your spiritual life. I want you to pray and to ask God what it is that he wants from you. 
for you, how you can be part of his plan. I want you to listen. And that's hard for us because we are good at talking, but we're bad at still. I want you to try to figure out a way to put some of God's word in your heart every week. I know some of you aren't readers. Maybe you're listeners. There are lots of different ways. And it's not to make you churchy. It's because the Bible tells us that when we hide God's word in here, we won't sin. That our heart will become less divided, that we'll become more obedient, more the people who God wants us to be. Set a goal. Stick to the goal. Running away to win the prize. Let's forget the past and commit to press on and move forward to reach the goal. And what you may ask is, what's the goal? The goal is super simple, to be like Jesus. Now, I don't mean doing the miracles of Jesus. I don't think you're gonna turn any water into wine. I don't think any of you guys are gonna walk on water. I doubt anybody's gonna raise anyone from the dead. But I want us to live like Jesus. Loving, serving, compassionate, gracious, merciful, purposeful, sacrificial, committed, Jesus. And it may seem like a lot. This is the last thing I want to say to you today. We break it down in little manageable chunks every single week. And you and I just take a little of it and we put it in here and the Holy Spirit causes it to grow. And we look back at a couple of weeks and go, I've changed. And then in a few more months, look at how I've changed. And then in six months, we look back and we don't even recognize ourselves six months ago. And at the end of the year, next year at this time, we look back and we say, thank you, God. Thank you for developing in me an undivided heart. Father, thank you for my friends.